Hi everyone, hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Irish Balance podcast. If you are new to this podcast, I'll give you a little bit of an introduction. My name is Kira Kelly. I'm a medical doctor specialising in public health medicine working in Galway in Ireland. And if you are a regular listener to the podcast, of course you know who I am, so I don't need an introduction for you guys. Um, either way, you can find me at the Irish Balance on Instagram and you'll find my blog www.theirishbalance.com. Today's podcast episode is one I know lots of you following on Instagram have been really looking forward to hearing and today's episode is about COVID-19 and the school uh, setting or school environment and this is a really important part of the COVID-19 pandemic conversation particularly regarding protecting the pupils and staff of our schools and protecting more broadly the in-person learning environment. I'm really delighted to be joined today by Dr Abigail Collins who is a consultant in public health medicine with the National Cancer Control Programme. When COVID-19 reached Ireland, Dr. Collins was immediately redeployed back to the front line in public health in the Midlands, and she's been providing amazing consultant leadership ever since. She's been a great leader for me as a public health trainee and a a fantastic colleague to work with as well. And I'm so, so thrilled that she was able to give up some of her very precious time out of a very busy schedule to talk to me today to share um, the wealth of knowledge that she has on how we can all keep um, school safe in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic with you guys as well. Just to give you a little bit of background on Dr. Collins, she graduated from University College London with a first class honours degree in human genetics and then went on to study medicine at the Royal Free and University College London hospitals, where she continued to pursue interests in genetics and maternal and child health. And during during early specialty training in paediatrics in Scotland, Dr. Collins became increasingly aware of the role, need and responsibility to protect and improve the health of children and families. And ultimately, her broadening interest in this area led to subspecialisation in public health medicine, which she pursued by undertaking academic study and subspecialty professional training in public health at Cambridge. She later relocated to Ireland and continued her training with the Royal College of Physicians in Ireland. And she completed her specialty training in public health in 2017 and has been working as a consultant in public health medicine since. In today's episode, we talk a little bit about what we know about the, um, I suppose, the dynamics of COVID-19 in the school setting and what happens um, if there is a case of COVID-19 in the school setting, what the public health response is. We talk a little bit about um, close contacts in that context as well. And most importantly, how we can all keep schools safe, whether we're part of the school community or whether schools are part of our community. We're all part of that response. And I think it's really important over the next you know, seven, eight weeks as our schools continue their summer term that we all do our best to keep them safe. I know lots of you that follow me on Instagram also work in the school environment, so I really hope that you enjoy this episode too. Um, And without further ado, let's go on to the conversation today. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Dr. Collins, for joining me on the podcast today. It's really great of you to give me some of your time to have a chat about COVID-19 in schools. I know you are a busy person at the moment. Um, I just wanted to say welcome to the Irish Balance podcast and ask how you're doing. Thanks very much. It's great uh, great to be here. And uh, yeah, it's been a very busy time for us all in public health over the last uh, 14, 15 months or so, but um, it has for many people, so <laughs> strange times. It is, it is. I'm, I really want, I'm really keen to to get into today's topic. It's something that I personally get asked a lot about on Instagram, um, which is about COVID-19, more specifically about COVID-19 and the school setting. 
Um, I think one of the, you know, the great achievements that we've managed, um, you know, within our communities is getting our children back into in-person education and the staff of those schools back to work as well over the last few weeks. And it's been, you know, a big effort on the part of the families, on the school community and the public health community as well. Um, and I'd love to ask you some of those kind of common questions that I know people are always thinking about when we talk about COVID-19 in schools. So I might start by just asking, you know, first of all, what do we know about the actual transmission of COVID-19 in the school setting? Yeah, it's um, it's a really good question. It's one that we do get asked a lot and it's, it's a really important question to try uh, and help answer. So I suppose the important thing to say is, you know, that COVID-19 within the school setting has been shown sort of nationally and internationally to be a low risk setting with appropriate mitigation measures in place. And it's really important to say uh, to say that latter part uh, because it doesn't happen by magic, but it happens by uh, a lot of hard work by a lot of people and a lot of people engaging and trying to make that work. Um, so obviously a school is just a building uh, and COVID-19 can only be brought to the school by someone. So that's why the, you know, the first two most important messages to people are, are really to mind their exposures, to, to make sure that they follow national public health advice if you're in a family associated with a school. So if you know, you've got a school child, um, school aged children, or if you're a teacher, for example, that you and your family, your close family unit, really do mind your exposures uh, to minimise the chances that you will um, become infected with COVID-19. Mm. So that's the first part. And then the second part is to make sure that if you have any symptoms of COVID-19, um, that absolutely you do not attend an educational facility uh, or work of any kind. But obviously we're talking about this, uh, uh, the schools in this context. So if you have symptoms, you stay at home, you isolate other members of the household, restrict their movements until you've had that discussion and test um, through the GP with the test results for COVID-19. So if we can get that bit right, then uh, you're really minimising the chances of someone going to the school who's got COVID-19, who's infectious with COVID-19 and who's likely to spread uh, COVID-19. Uh, so then the next part is what can be done within the school to make sure that if that does happen, unfortunately, uh, that someone is there and they don't have symptoms and they don't uh, feel that they have been exposed uh, at that you know, what is the chance that that person being there will spread in this setting the infection to other people? And that's where the mitigation, uh, infection prevention and control measures that are recommended are so important. So mm. that's where the advice is to schools to make sure that they implement sort of, you know, the pod structures, uh, you know, the careful entrance and uh, egressing into and out of the school and to make sure that their hands hygiene is optimal, that they're encouraging children at certain time points to sanitize their hands. Uh, obviously, for the post primary sector, there is the face covering recommendations for the children and for all of the teachers across the schools there's the face covering recommendations that we encourage the distancing and there are there are recommendations for the post-primary sector for desks and obviously the, there are the pod recommendations for the uh, primary sector and um, so it, it's these measures that as a as a package together really help stop any onward spread of COVID-19 and then when you have a case, if someone uh, does find that they are a case of COVID-19, they have a case that then, you know, public health becomes involved, the schools teams become involved and we liaise with the school. And it's really important then obviously to follow or, um, the public health guidance and what people are asking you to. And it's really that whole package of things together that allow it, you know, 
to, to remain an option for our children to have their on-site education, which is so important for so many reasons. So it's not one magic bullet and it doesn't happen without a lot of hard work from a lot of people. Um, but that all together has shown internationally and nationally that schools can remain low risk settings for COVID-19, which allows children to access them. Thanks, Dr. Collins. I think that's so clear and I love how you've laid it out into those kind of three key areas, really. And it comes back to, you know, as you said, it's a building, it's an environment that we're trying to protect. And I think it's really helpful to think of it as that sort of school unit that we're trying to protect it from, you know, actually being exposed to the virus and preventing or minding your own exposures and in turn reducing the chance that an exposure gets into the, the school setting. I think you've kind of addressed my second question there, which, which was just really about differences between national or post-primary schools. And you mentioned some of the things there like face coverings um, as well. And I, I think one of the things you touched on towards the end there was the actual public health response to, um, you know, whether if there's, um, an, if let's say we do mind our exposures, we do the best we can, but a case still manages to get into the school setting. Um, and I'd love if you would be able to talk a little bit more about what the public health response is or what people could expect when that happens. Because I'm sure, particularly as we've, you know, we've come through a few different waves of COVID-19 infection in Ireland. So more and more people have probably had some experience of that, albeit few overall, but I think it'd be really helpful for people to understand what that sort of response is like or what they should expect if it were to happen to them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and one point I'm just going to pick up um, that you mentioned there, it's, um, you know, about the number of children who have had COVID-19. Mm. It is worth bearing in mind that 3.3% uh, um, currently of, of school-age children have had COVID-19, but 100% have been very, very affected for the past year in terms of access to, uh, you know, to schooling mm. and friendship. So it is just worth bearing that in, that in mind that COVID-19 typically in children uh, is a lower level of infection. They tend to do very well with it. But obviously the problem has been, uh, uh, you know, the, the proximity and spread to those who will uh, suffer more significant consequences. But thankfully with the vaccine, you know, there, there is much better protection for people mm. who are at higher risk. Um, but it is important to bear in mind that we are talking about 3% of, of um, children who would otherwise have attended school uh, have had COVID-19. So it's still a very small uh, uh, percentage. It's not the majority by, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but yes, as you said, there are, despite everybody's best efforts, there are occasions when um, someone, either uh, you know, staff member or student, has uh, un unfortunately been in attendance in a school setting whilst they've been infectious. So that's that's the, the, the next point to highlight, and uh, that just because someone has COVID-19, they might not have been in the school when they've been infectious at all for for often you know uh, a, a myriad of different reasons one they might have been identified as a close contact or someone else so we managed to get them out of the school setting um uh, earlier before they became infected uh, and secondly obviously there are you know weekends and there are school holidays etc so it, it's not to say that all of those children or all the staff associated with um the schools would have been in the school when they've been infectious mm -hmm. so that's the first thing that we have to deal out um, as a sort of public health response where was someone there when they were infectious and then what impact would that have had uh within the school setting so i i mean i think there's a phrase that has been uh, much more familiar as part of sort of uh, national conversations and that's the public health risk assessment than it ever yeah. would have been in the years preceding the pandemic and um, 
but that's what that's what happens. We undertake a public health risk assessment, uh, and in essence, you know, we contact the cases and find out a little bit about their exposures, where they might likely have gotten their infection, and how symptomatic they were in school, etc. And then we contact the school and find out um, a whole a whole bunch of information pieces, really, about how the school works, how the school operates, and uh, and particularly with relation to the the class that the child or the staff member might have been um, in uh, in contact with. Uh, and we use all of this information to determine who the close contacts are. Uh, and there are, you know, there's a clear sort of close contact definition that we use. Uh, and in essence, it's sort of, you know, less than one meter if you've been in very close contact with someone, then obviously you will, you'll be determined as a close contact. Uh, and between one and two meters, that's where we think really, really carefully about the setting. So that's when all of that rich information comes into play about, you know, how, how good the infection control measures were. Some children are better able to comply with them than others. How infectious someone seemed to be, were they coughing and spluttering a good bit? Um, beforehand, mm -hmm. for example, or the school could recommend that they go home. Um, so these are things that are really important and they influence how we, um, how, uh, you know, who, who gets determined to be a close contact from a public health perspective. Um, so once we've determined through those conversations who the close contacts are, uh, and then those uh, families are, are contacted and those children are asked obviously to go home and restrict their movements in line with uh, national public health guidance for close contacts. And testing is arranged for the children. Uh, and that testing, again, in line with national uh, guidance for close contacts, usually takes place at day zero and day 10. But sometimes, you know, that, that might be changed a little bit just depending on the actual nuance of the situation. Situation and when we might have found out about a case, etc. And um, so, you know, that's that's in sort of general principle what happens in those early information pieces. Uh, um, and then what happens going forward depends a little bit on what we find. So, you know, often we find very little, thankfully, uh, and the, what we call the close contact positivity. So of those people who were determined to be close contacts within the school setting, how many of them turned out to have COVID-19 when we tested them at day zero and day 10? And fortunately, that is very low. Um, um, and, you know, by low, I mean, we're talking, you know, between sort of two and three percent uh, across the different school settings. So mm -hmm. it's unusual for a close contact within the school setting to be co positive for COVID-19. But sometimes we do get outbreaks in schools where, where there might be more cases or more people who are turn out to be positive for COVID-19. And then that affects, we do further contact tracing. So, you know, there's further activity between the public health departments and the schools. So, you know, the initial piece is quite set in terms of what we do, and it's very, uh, very consistent and systematic, the questions that we ask and the information that we get. And then the nuance comes with uh, how we interpret it for each school, because uh, as I'm sure everybody knows and every principal would say, every school is quite different and how mm -hmm. children interact and behave is quite different. So, you know, there are those parts that we that we have to bear in mind uh, and um, you know, any cases and onward outbreaks. Uh, and it's important to say that outbreaks are not the most common thing that we see. Uh, they do happen, obviously, but generally with a low level of maybe two to three um, people being infected onwards rather than larger scale outbreaks. But it's important that we obviously act soon and act fast. Uh, and, you know, those are the principles by which the public health departments uh, work and interact with the schools. Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Collins. I think that's so clear. And I know people will find that really helpful because I think one of the biggest challenges, you know, in 
current climate as well. You know, we have a challenge with social media and mainstream media and people might often see headlines or someone posting something on Instagram or Twitter. And you can feel like you're in this echo chamber where, you know, there's all these cases around you. But actually, as you've said, the overall number of, of children actually affected is extremely low. Um, and as you said, the, the positivity rate is low as well for close contacts. And it can be very hard if you see all these media headings, sometimes the news outlets reporting on one particular outbreak, for example, people might feel like there's a lot more of it out there than there actually is in that particular environment. Yeah, that's it. And I think it can be quite scary for parents, you know, mm. and rightly people are, are anxious about COVID-19 because, you know, it's been such an extraordinary year for, for everybody. Um, but it is really important to bear, bear that in mind uh, that, you know, the the media attention and focus gets gets set on you know certain you know incidents which would be more unusual rather than what is more common and that's sort of isolated cases with if you're unlucky sort of maybe one or two cases from onward spread and often amongst people who are closer friends so not just from within the school environment but often people who might you know you know children children are children and, and they need their they need their social interaction and young children it's very difficult to keep them uh, um, you know, very apart in the way that, uh, you know, we might recommend adults do uh, all the time. So we do recognise that in schools. Um, but it is important to say that it's at a low level that we see, um, you know, wider problems. It's uncommon to have outbreaks. And if we do, they tend to be smaller scale. And it's really important for, for people to understand uh, that that is the pattern of what we typically see. And that is what has given us, I suppose, the confidence and, and given everyone the confidence to say that as much as possible internationally, schools should be the last places to close and the first places to open because of all the other very many gains um, for children. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the important things you've outlined so well there is the nuance and this was the very active management of these kind of situations that you know is involved from a public health perspective and we all love when things are black and white and nice and easy but one of the challenges particularly you know with health in general public health but include, and also the COVID-19 pandemic is that nuance and that sort of grey area where we do need to ask those extra questions and probe a bit more and, and get as much information as possible as you said with that rich detail for the risk assessment. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's, you know, important that that happens. And sometimes people like it to be a straightforward tick box exercise, then they can see what happens and applies it to themselves. But, you know, in any any part of medicine, that's really not the way it works. We, you know, you know, if you're going to go to a GP or if you're going to go into an ED department, you're going to be asked lots of questions. And actually what happens to you specifically will be very similar to what happens to other people, but it won't be exactly the same all the time because of that nuance of information. And that's appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so what I wanted to get on to next was this was one of the key things really over the next, you know, six, seven, eight weeks as we, you know, go through the summer term with schools. Um, I'm sure everyone is crying out for the summer at this stage, but we do have a few weeks to go. And I think one of the key messages that I know from a public health perspective, we're trying to get out there and you have done so much work on this as well as keeping our schools safe. And you've touched on a lot of these key points already. Um, which is which is fantastic. Um, but I would love if, you know, just there's a lot of people out there, I'm sure, who are anxious and they know there's a few weeks left. They know the leavings are just coming up in June. And I, from what my experience of messages I've gotten on social media, people are just really keen to try and keep the schools as safe as possible and to know what they can do to play their part within their own community. Um, and I know you've outlined some of these already, but if there's sort of maybe two or three key points or more than that that we should all be remembering over the next few weeks, what would those be? Um, yeah, I think this is a real, really important crunch time for, for three reasons, really. And 
you know, first and most importantly, to some degree, uh, is the leaving certificate, because that is such a pivotal moment for, for um, you know, children going into young adulthood and shaping their future lives. And, and I think given that the year that they've had, anything that we can all collectively do to, to support them to have the opportunities to sit their exams is really important. Um, because it is, it is clear that, it, you know, unfortunately, if someone is a case or has symptoms or if they're a close contact of a case of COVID-19, they will move to the accredited get grades for um, for particular those particular exams that they're unable to sit. So it's to maximise those who want to sit their exams, it's to maximise those opportunities. So it's really important for the leaving certificate here. It's really important um, because the country is starting to ease its restrictions a little bit, uh, which is great for us all, but it introduces a little extra element of movement and, and um, you know, risk from that mm -hmm. perspective, as we move a little bit more and we meet with people a little bit more, that you know that that introduces a little bit more opportunity for the infection if it's there to spread. And I suppose the third part is sort of you know a bit of COVID fatigue and summer mm -hmm. joy <laughs> you know the weather is a little bit better we want to be out and about a bit more and we're all we're all fed up of COVID frankly <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> I don't think you know, there's probably not a person in the country who isn't. And so those three things together, you know, can be a little bit of a dangerous combination. Um, and so it, it really is in terms of the school community. And by that, I don't just mean the people attending the school and the people working in the school. I mean, the families of all those people that they, you know, they come from and, uh, and those families and their own exposure. So it does sort of mushroom out a little bit that if you are in the, in what I would call a greater school community, Community whereby you know you have you have a grandchild or a, a neighbour who is in a school that you you mind your exposures and you mind how you interact with that family uh, because that's how COVID nineteen infection spreads. So it's really thinking about supporting your local school environment and your local um, school community to 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 prioritise I suppose uh, making sure that we limit our interactions and mind our exposures as much as possible mm. uh, and it really is holding firm that little bit longer uh, in those contexts particularly for children who are around the sort of post-primary setting and the leaving cert and um, age because the impact will be be potentially significant for for those people who are affected um, so you know it is it is still a sort of a community response uh, and it's really important there's no new message but it's really important that we adhere and recognize the importance of our own roles in trying to keep that school community safe and protected um, and uh, and i suppose the the sort of the follow-on part of that is to not let slippage and complacency um, come in in terms of the mitigation measures and infection control measures and um, because as we start to sort of move around a little bit more uh, and we have a feeling of sort of better times ahead that's great but that can sometimes lead to a little bit of slippage uh, and compliance with all the mitigation measures that we know are so effective to limit that onward spread of infection and um, so it you know it really is the two basic things the very first things that I sort of mentioned uh, at the start of the podcast here Kira but it it really 
really brings it fundamentally back to that, uh, you know, the, the importance of those points in the context, particularly of the leaving cert classes. So, you know, we all have a we all have a responsibility to try and uh, help the schools, and particularly for those children, try and support the children who are going into their well, I shouldn't call them children, adolescents, young adults uh, going into their leaving. They wouldn't appreciate being called children, I'm sure, but going into their leaving cert exams, you know, and you know, it's very hard for them. They are finishing their school careers after a very odd 14, 15 months. Many of them are turning 18 without having had any of the usual parties and things. Uh, and so it's, you know, we have to acknowledge this is desperately hard for them. It's been a desperately hard time. Um, but, you know, some of those things we can't change. We can say that there will be better days ahead and there will be opportunities for those appropriate social interactions to take place. But let's at least try and give them their opportunities to sit those exams if that's what they choose to do. Absolutely. Um, so I, I, think, I think there's nothing better than we could do uh, as families and communities around the school setting to try and ensure that. Thanks so much for that, Dr. Collins. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I remember driving somewhere last year during the summer when the restrictions eased and just being I was listening to the radio and just hearing, um, you know, leaving certificate students, you know, dialing in and sharing their experiences and how the year had affected their mental health. And this was obviously last year, six years. And I just was struck by such a sadness of what they'd gone through. I remember how stressful that time is without a pandemic. Um, and it really is such a a formative experience in life and as you said it is sort of a stepping stone for how the rest of you know what might what career you might be looking to do and even just the whole experience of the exams as well without a pandemic thrown in so yeah I think that's such an important message that they really are we're trying to protect the whole school community but these are a particular groups that really need our extra efforts over the next few weeks particularly as we see some some restrictions ease as well. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think everyone remembers that time, you know, we've all been through sort of exams and that period. Mm -hmm. And this has just been extraordinarily difficult uh, run up for them. Uh, and, you know, we do have to bear that in mind and just try and hold firm that little bit longer to protect them and give them the opportunities that um, they deserve, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Collins. I just want to signpost people at this stage to just the HSE website is a fantastic resource for all things COVID-19 in terms of guidance and the gov.ie website as well does also have a lot of current restrictions in place and future plans and the government's plans as well are all on that website too. And um, is there any other resources you'd like to flag people to Dr. Collins or are they the main ones that we should be looking out for? Yeah, they're, they're the main ones. Obviously, a lot of relevant information with regards to the sort of education side are on the education sort of gov.ie um, resources. And, and they have, you know, lots of lots of important information, both about the exams and about sort of COVID-19 in the school center setting. And then obviously the HSE um, and the health sort of health side has lots of pertinent resources. So I think those are the you know two key places to get uh, really sort of solid, reliable inf information. Perfect. And more important than ever with all the misinformation that can be out there. And um, there's just one last question that I ask all my guests, Dr. Collins, if you don't mind me asking you this. And it's obviously been a very hectic um, 18 months, nearly 18 months at this stage, actually, for public health and including yourself, I'm sure. Um, and this podcast is the Irish Balance podcast. And I do always ask my guests if there's one thing that they share with could share with the listeners that brings just that little bit of balance to their lives, particularly during these kind of crazy times. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it, you know, it's a good point and we all need to mind our, our health and well-being individually and collectively and it's very challenging for people in the pandemic uh, and 
Um, yeah, so so what do I do to help my, myself? Well, I've, I've taken up a lot more swimming. I have a lake very close by and I do a lot of swimming in the lake and I, oh, I love wow. that. It gives me peace of mind and a bit of tranquility. Um, so yeah, I've become more of a fan of open water swimming over the last year. Fantastic, that's very impressive. I say that as someone who lives in Galway and keeps trying to psych yourself up to go down to Salt Hill to take a dip and I haven't managed to do it yet this year. So that's my inspiration there. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, thanks, Dr. Collins, for your time. I really appreciate it. I know our listeners will as well. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kira.